0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Material Analysis, the podcast. I am your host for today, Bela, um, and uh, I'm being joined today by three other comrades, Chandu and Pramod uh, from the last episode, and Pinky too. Today, our episode is titled Gentoo Society. Uh, Gentoo, as some of our listeners may be aware of, is a word that um, the British, actually the colonial, uh, different colonial groups actually gave to the indigenous inhabitants of India um, and to the, the broad classification of all of um, all of the people they encountered as Hindu. Uh, and that is going to be the focus of our podcast discussion today, because we live in um, we live in a time when the word hindu is is mentioned everywhere to talk about the current moment in india and we thought it was a good idea to sort of parse out what what that means what does it mean to be hindu what does it mean to say that some uh, that a culture or that a politics or that a society is hindu um and so today we're going to talk about that a little bit so um, does everyone want to say hi comrades hello hi that was hi Hi, everyone Um. yes so to begin with let us start with um a fairly simple question which is uh what do we understand from the religion hindus what do we understand Uh, that the Hindu religion is how has it historically been constructed Um, you know some of us come from Hindu backgrounds some of us don't Um, how do we sort of see ourselves um, not ourselves but how do we see where Indian society today currently is in terms of its Hindu moment Comrade Pramod do you want to go first
1: essentially what we need to understand is that uh, prior to colonialism there was no specific marker saying that uh, these people are Hindus. I mean, like, the word Hindu was basically used by Persian administrators to designate anybody who used to live in quote-unquote Hindustan, and to that effect, you would even have people going to Mecca, who would basically be, you know, called Hindu Muslims, etc. Mm -hmm. Uh, This category emerges within the context of colonialism, where the colonial administrators that they encounter in South Asia, they encounter Muslims, whom they can identify from their encounters as well. Right? They identify Christians, they can mm-hmm. identify. But then they have this category of natives, mm-hmm. for whom they don't actually have a name. So they basically come up initially with the name Gentu, from the word gen- Gentil, from uh, mm-hmm. Dubai. And uh, they basically uh, start, uh, you know, once colonialism starts operating, uh, you basically have this category being created as this kind of others folder, which is not Muslim, which is not Christian. And then you have, you know, over time, you have various contestations coming within this category uh, over the years. Define what this category is, What is what could be a possible common theology that binds all of these uh, disparate groups with a bunch of different, different, widely different beliefs in certain cases together. And these were issues that many... Indian nationalists, in, se- in some sense, also grappled with. Uh, for instance, Bhunkim Chandra Chatterjee, he would once actually comment mm-hmm. that uh, the differences between, quote-unquote, uh, various Hindu groups, by, by, by that end, the word Hindu had come into operation thanks to Ramon Roy. Uh, he basically say things like, that, that between two different Hindus, the theological differences are greater than the theological differences between a Muslim and a Christian. But mm-hmm. how do you construct what is the core essence of what is uh, who is a Hindu? What is the common theological belief that binds them? Or what is the core social uh, aspect of uh, this Hindu society? So I think that's essentially, you know, you have to put this in the context of the fact that this category comes up within the context of colonialism. Right. Then the majority of, once you actually categorize it in this way, it comes up as the majority of South Asia. Yes that says you canonical vision of what Hindu society is you also have uh, other contesting visions and views of what these kind of societies are from the various lower caste groups etc right so i think that's a good note to begin if anyone else wanted to add in right pinky do you want to add something to that
2: Yeah, I was thinking about the way in which people right now are sort of, everybody's sort of vaguely and intuitively aware of the difficulty of defining what Hinduism is. Um, They're aware that there have been multiple strands, they're aware that there is no one single text at its core, they're aware that colonial intervention has shaped it in some ways, but there's also uh, the presence of various local groups, indigenous groups that have um, affected or been claimed uh, by Hinduism. And what Interests me is uh how this sort of multiplicity within Hinduism gets framed as a bad thing and a good thing at different moments. Um, how a lot of people, including family members of mine, but also a lot of conservatives, uh, say that Hinduism is uh in some ways superior precisely because it doesn't tie itself down to, you know, to a single thing and mm-hmm. because it has been so many things they see it as proof of its kind of vitality and flexibility mm-hmm. but uh, on the other hand um they a lot of these people are also very quick to kind of shut down um you know, people trying to push against certain things that Hinduism has prescribed, um, certain modes of life, certain rituals, certain restrictions, uh, certain categorizations that uh, Hindu society has always practiced. They're also very quick to shut down on that and uh, see it in some ways as an attack on something that's fundamental to Hinduism. So, what is then the essence of Hinduism that they're trying to protect, right? What What about it seems to be uh, that sacred heart of Hinduism that they feel can't be touched, But and how do they reconcile that with what they see as this plurality, that's one thing. And and again, an other side of that would be those who critique Hinduism for not having that center. And right. uh, how much of that critique is itself conservative? Because part of it is like this idea of, oh, it's like this pagan polytheistic idol worship. Like, we don't want to go down that road either. But yeah. is, there, uh, is there a legitimate critique of certain inconsistencies in Hinduism that are actually worth poking at to, to show certain kinds of ideological hollowness? Right.
0: That's a useful way of thinking about it. Um, and the idea perhaps that is Hinduism reactionary or is it actually responding? Um, it, well, is, are there developments there that we can track as sufficiently ideological and sort of more full on than others? Comrade Chandu, do you want to add to that?
3: Um, yeah, I would. And I would like to take a sort of an instrumental political way of looking at Hinduism. One of the greatest uh, sort of critiques of the left in India has always been that it is unwilling to sincerely engage with Hinduism. And Mm -hmm. a lot of Hindus find it really weird, like I know this from my conversations with my peers, that this kind of sort of knee-jerk skepticism of a religion is not extended to what is often looked at in India as Western religions. Like, the line that I often hear is that the left is fine being sympathetic towards say Islam, even though it may have regressive practices, why is not that sympathy extended to Hinduism? Yes. And I think there is a kernel of honesty in this kind of complaint that uh, because as Comrade Pramod has mentioned that a lot of what we call Hinduism comes from the others folder of colonial times. There are contradictions here which need to be engaged with, but, but more than that, what I think is, that um, this very quick uh, sort of political outlook, which progressive Indians have, wherein um, they dismiss away this force, which is gigantic, I think Mm -hmm. that is politically wrong. And that if you leave that uh, field, then reactionary forces are happy to co-opt it. So while I am not in the favor of say, sort of uh, painting it in nice colors, because personally, uh, like, I'm not a person of faith, I don't, don't have really a dog in the fight, but uh, I do think that it needs to be engaged with sincerely, and we need to figure out uh, whether something <coughs> of that is uh, liberatory or salvageable, um, and, of course, we are not going to be figuring that out in a space of one podcast conversation, but so I hope you know. that uh, the, the episode triggers some interesting ideas in that sense.
0: Uh... I think that's an interesting point to make in that if Hindu identity is defined as a negative identity, that which is not Islam, that which is not Christian, um, but that can that which has also sort of seeds of other religions or uh, spiritual practices within it, like Buddhism and Sikhism and Jainism, uh, is is really a sort of uh, it's it's embedded within the law as well and within certain uh, narratives and popular culture. Um, is is there something and any of you can pitch in at this point to to answer this? um is it is it worth our while to really essentialize hinduism sort of trace something like the essence um something that you know uh, we identify as its core tenets um is it worthwhile to say this is recognizably hindu why would it be worthwhile to say that um and and what has and historically if you could historicize that what do you think has actually survived that is recognizably hindu in in the contemporary moment
2: Uh, If I may, I would actually like to hear Comrade Pramo attempt to answer that. But if I could put one more question on the table, which is that what does it mean um, to take up Comrade Chandu's question to sincerely engage with Hinduism? Does sincerely engaging mean necessarily that we try and pin down core tenets Mm -hmm. or does it mean... Um, that we take it seriously because I think one big problem we're having now is how much of Hinduism to take seriously. So much of what uh, conservatives are saying is very absurd and we feel that there's a certain power in being able to expose it as absurd. Uh, but are we perhaps developing a knee-jerk reaction of like disgust and embarrassment about everything that mm-hmm. that stands for? And is that making us unable to see it as something that has its own kind of logic and its own kind of history? So I'm also wondering about what what it means to sincerely engage uh, even with, like, the more, you know, per- per- peripheral aspects of it that we encounter, like, even if it's not the central tenet.
1: Okay, so basically the question here is what is germane to Hinduism? Um, see, the one thing that I think is futile to combat against is uh, popular spirituality that runs across South Asian society, Indian society. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that if you start start antagonizing this, I think you lost half the battle there, and I'm uh, Pinky's question uh, that uh, if you suddenly say that uh, you know we are going to abandon all sorts of rituality that we associate with Hinduism, and if you start trying to antagonize that and say that you know we have people have to give that up, it's not going to work. I, that's not just not going to happen. And that if you take that line, people are going to say, okay, you know, you're expecting us to give up our spiritual practices. You're not making that alibi. You know, you're not asking Muslims. You're not asking Christians. You're not asking these other right to do that. Uh, and I'm not just saying that this is about upper caste Brahmins because in my personal, tons of work on this. It's also true that lower caste societies, tribal societies, etc., all have the ritual practice which have been identified with now as to what uh, you know what we can dis- i mean like and to be fair there are uh, aspects of hinduism and you know as practiced by lower caste groups that aren't necessarily affirmative of Brahminism, that aren't necessarily affirmative of that kind of structure uh, so you know my perspective is simply that you know we, you know you can critique, and you can attack the category as it exists, but there are you have to be careful about not dismissing the spirituality that is inherent amongst certain um, a large section of our society
0: is- right one question I would have is that a dominant critique of Hinduism that often comes in from uh, the left spectrum particularly Ambedkarites is that uh, lower caste practices that look like Hinduism are not uh, uh, should not be categorized as Hinduism because uh, to them Brahminical Hinduism that ties back towards uh, texts like the Vedas and the Upanishads um, the Smritis and the Shastras so to speak are, uh, are the sort of dominating and in some ways uh sort of the whole spectrum of what, what Hindu identity has been constructed on. And so they would like to distinguish themselves from, distinguish their own community and their spiritual practices from the tag of Hindu. Um, how do people feel about that? Comrade bela can uh, I answer that? Yes, please. Go ahead. Um, so there are two parts to
3: that question and I'll try to answer both that part. And one of that part actually um, uh, joins with Comrade Pinky's question that how do you then deal with it without getting disgusted and sort of not falling into that trap where you can be accused of hypocrisy that, Mm -hmm. hey, why are you not dealing with Hinduism? You are ready to deal with Islam and it has practices, right? Mm -hmm. So um, one thing where um, I disagree with Ambatkarites is that um, they say that Hinduism is, is essentially Brahmanism and everything else is animism which Brahminism appropriated. I mean, I know it's a more sophisticated argument, but that's what it sounds like to a lot of people. Um, the thing is that Hinduism was never really uh, uh, a faith which was decided by uh, arguments towards original documentations or towards scripture till a very modern time. And mm-hmm. what is important to remember in that very modern time, what was happening Yes, there were people who were using scripture to affirm caste structures. Of course, there were people like that. But then there were people who were using scripture to do the to precisely the opposite. They were trying to dismantle opp- oppressive practices by appeals to scripture. And Ram Mohan Roy is an example of the second. In fact, I would say this whole idea of using scriptures to sort of solidify what hinduism is is ram mohan's invention wherein he tries to go back to the vedas and tries to essentially scuttle a lot of the brahmanical structures that were prevalent around that time and tries to attack Sat, uh, tries to attack sati that way so the, the simple thing about hinduism is that uh, historically and this is the historical statement right this is not like ideological front that Brahmins were never united as a front and their scriptures were not united to sort of crystallize caste. Mm. They would have liked, to, but they were not. Uh, only during when the colonialists come, do we see that kind of... Like recently, uh, this debate has sort of been reduced by this very uh, sort of simplistic BBC article which recently came out and which a lot of people mm-hmm. were critiquing and rightfully. so. And, and the article was basically saying that you know what, it was the colonials who sort of came in and froze caste. That is not true. Of course, caste had existed much before that mm. and, and oppressive caste practices did exist much before that. But what the coming of the colonials precipitated was that now you had groups of Brahmins who were using scripture to colonial authorities to sort of say that, look, these are the practices which we have been doing and this is the justification and hence uh, freeze that. But there were people who had used scriptures in different ways before, in in emancipatory ways before, and and this has been happening before colonial times as well. So the point is that, uh, is there something essential in Hinduism that, that is sort of separate from caste? Well, we wouldn't know without proper analysis, but I think it's worthwhile to try. Um, simply because like Comrade Pramod said that if you wholesale dismiss it and say that you know what all Hinduism is Brahmanism and all the oppressed uh, classes need to do is abandon it that's not going to happen because most of them in India do firmly think of themselves as Hindus so
2: yeah I have a question which is that uh, people like and were using scripture in order to launch very targeted campaigns against very specific material structures like sati etc uh, so at that point of time it was really trying to create these major shifts by lit- like literally dismantling certain material structures right so there it's almost like playing a legal game uh, and scripture becomes valuable in that but uh, I guess my question is how helpful is a sort of reclaiming of parts of Hinduism if you're trying to combat deeply entrenched prejudices like Islamophobia, like casteism? Like is a going back to certain redemptive elements or trying to find loopholes in Hindu scripture, is that going to be at all useful if you're trying to counter major sentiments associated with Hinduism that are sort of like against the other? We're not just trying to make Hinduism more workable for people living within Hinduism
0: and just to add to that also the Ambedkarat argument to that is very clearly that the the recuperation of uh, you know brahmanical scripture particularly vedas and the uh, certain sections of the upanishads where caste is justified or a, a sort of caste stratified society is considered to be the highest form of social organization uh, the the recuperation of that represents a reification of caste still within hindu society just through the the the, the, the just through the concept of like difference right we are all different but we are under the same society and so on uh, which certain conservative factions still do today uh, and the ambedkarite argument is of course the annihilation of caste and not just a, a way of finding the caste to live with each other without oppression indeed if there is such a thing as caste without oppression is the question because ambedkarites don't believe that such a thing could ever be possible because it would always mean the subjugation of uh, of untouchable castes right and another lower caste um, in very menial occupation so for me the 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 Danger in saying that you know, oh, one group obviously used uh, scripture to justify caste, but the other group tried to redeem themselves by using scripture to reject caste. Well, they rejected caste oppression, but they may not have rejected caste as a function of the political economy, uh, rejecting caste as a hegemonic force within Indian society. And so that is a a question that I don't think is is given enough space within the idea of the recuperation of scripture. But I think you were going to say something, uh, Comrade Pramod.
1: yeah, so my point is, is you cannot essentially rehabilitate caste, it, it, that's impossible, and I pretty much agree with Ambedkarites when they say that you know a caste society is a society that is inherently oppressive, where it's just entrenched feudalism. Uh, however, when uh, you know, similarly, you know. Coming from Jhundu's point, I don't really agree that, you know, you can, uh, you know, sort of like salvage texts such as uh, the Vedas or you can salvage texts like the Upanish... I mean, like Vedas, well, the Vedas are pretty... You could know, have the, the Upanishads, the commentary, mm-hmm. the, uh, street, uh, this, uh, the Shastric texts, Shastric tradition. You cannot really salvage those Brahminical traditions. That is something that I hold pretty deeply. What you can salvage is how... Uh, uh, you know, lower castes throughout um, the centuries have essentially practiced their faith in certain ways, in the sense that you can salvage certain bhakti traditions. That is uh, what I feel. You can salvage bhakti traditions, you can salvage the anim- uh, the local animist traditions of not to say anything about these societies because these societies themselves can be very hierarchical and they can be very, uh, you know, have modes of exclusion within themselves but I see greater potential in salvaging these traditions rather than the uh, new text tradition, mm-hmm. that the, the, the text uh, uh, goes back to the Shastra,
0: and then there's also the problem of certain bhakti traditions that now have also been brahminized. I mean, the Kabir no, Panthis, for yeah. instance. Uh, Kabir Panthis, in speaking from what I know and what I've witnessed, Kabir Panthis in in UP and Banaras, uh, particularly, have already been sort of re- uh, reformulated through a sort of brahminical organization. They have they have priests who mediate that K- kabir is an idol within a temple there are priests who mediate with rituals um, and so the and, and there's now this idea of kabir as a saint within the hindu tradition right um, and sure. so this reforming and reshaping of certain uh, you know anti caste uh, articulations particularly from lower castes who have rejected uh, scriptural authority and priestly authority um, has now completely been recuperated part of it is hindutva but even liberal hindu traditions uh, people advocating for a liberal hindu you know uh, spiritual practice have done the same thing so i i have a very sort of productive tension with this because i admire many of these anti caste traditions the vachana movements in the south the Nayanal traditions in tamil nadu for um Vachana is in Karnataka, uh, and of course, Kabir uh, in the in, in UP, um, but I, I'm deeply sympathetic to it. I find those literatures really beautiful and meaningful to read and absorb, but in terms of spiritual value and particularly spiritual community, because I feel like we're not stressing enough here that, and, and I agree with you, Comrade Pramod, that, you know, religion's material function often is in the formation of a community and it's social relations it sets up. And so is there a, a way of practicing these faiths now that that still don't conform to brahminical notions of purity, pollution, temple authority, etc., etc. And that is where I find it really difficult to recuperate some of these. Um... Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah the, from one of the biggest examples of a bhakti tradition going absolutely haywire and leading to also and becoming a very, very central part of modern ideology is the Ram Mandir move. Right. So mm-hmm. like, there is always that danger. And for instance, in Bengal. You have uh, uh, two, from Chaitanya's gaudiya uh, voishno B- tradition, you basically have two different strands coming out. One mm-hmm. is uh, what at least my uh, family practices. Which is, uh, I mean, like not my present family, but you know, my my great-grandparents, etc. used to practice. And then mm-hmm. there is also an extremely Brahminical form of that. And uh, the organization that is most uh, strongly associated with that tradition is this con- Right, mm-hmm. and this is also coming from that same uh, Bhakti tradition. Now, the thing is that uh, within these traditions, you, while you are seeing that uh, mode that is advocated by, say, Isman, which believes in uh, pollution, purity, which also, I mean, like their founding guru had by all sorts of racist, uh, wrote all sorts of racist things. Yes. With the white Krishna saying that, you know, <laughs> with all sorts of racist justifications for that you also have this uh, folk tradition, rather. I mean, like, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, like, for the lack of a better word, uh, this tradition that is practiced across Bengal, which is somewhat more egalitarian, which, uh, you know, I mean, for instance, if you ask a person in East I mean, like, this entire Patra controversy, right? They essentially have these things against onion and garlic, let alone meat, mm-hmm. uh, but for instance, my ancestors, they were essentially a peasant fishing caste. And I mean, like, my great-grandfather, who was a devout Vaishnavite, he had fished till the end of his, fish and meat till the end of his days. We were a lower caste group and, you know, our, uh, we are a lower caste group and our practices were not the same as that of this high Vaishnavism that is associated right. with ISKCON. Right. I think what you need, what needs to be salvaged here is that tradition. I and mean, you know, it needs to be asserted that this is the tradition. These are the, you know, if there is a counter to this kind of mm-hmm. uh, this dominant idea of what is Hinduism, it should be that these sort of traditions, I mean, like, should be highlighted and should be given more importance. Can I uh,
3: respond to what Comrade Vela said? Because yes. I think I was a bit misrepresented. So first of all, okay. I mean... Uh, I have never said that there can be, you know, caste with equality, like the Gandhian modem. So I don't know where that came from. Like, um, so when I was making my argument for scriptural reclamation, it does not, of course, mean that you try to reclaim, um, those scriptures which justify, um, sort of, uh, Brahminical caste structure. I mean, I thought that was obvious. None of us here would want any element of caste society to remain. Just to make that clear. Um, but I think my point was a bit more than that. It was mm-hmm. trying to answer uh, Comrade Pinky's point that what is it that remains? Like what? what is it that you hold on to to create a structure which is not um, reprehensible? And I think in that sense, you would like to do some kind of legalism. Because if you don't do that, if you wholesale abandon scripture... Um, and, and you are trying to sincerely engage with Hinduism, the counter that would be made, and is actually made right now in right-wing circles, is that, well, it's not as if Hinduism only has scriptures with uh, stuff in it which is reactionary and bad. And and right-wingers would be happy to cite you blah verse from blah scripture of blah religion, which is disgusting. Yeah, and, yeah, of course. And would then hold you on to the, the, that, are you going to say, that that religion abandoned its scriptures. And and by the way, even if you were to say that, that you know what religions are, what their people practice and not really their scriptures, sorry, but that is not how a lot of faithful people of other religions look at their religion. So you cannot in right mind accept a, a devout Muslim to, to basically abandon their scripture. So, But
0: I would add that then we look at Hinduism as in some ways uh, a real deviation from what uh, the idea of a religion even is, right? Because if a religion yeah. has doctrinal centrality and so on as its, its uh, sort of foundational characteristics, maybe Hinduism is exceptional because it doesn't and we should grapple with the reality of that as well. Perhaps we should. But then if that yeah. is the case, we should... Uh, we
3: should be open about it and sort of not use it cynically. That is what I meant when okay. I meant yeah. sincerely.
1: That okay. So basically, basically the thing is that, you know, when once you, you know, there is a dominant mode of thinking about uh, religion that is extremely, pro- for the lack of a better word, extremely Protestant in nature,
3: mm-hmm.
1: in which you, um, you know, accord some centrality to some text,
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: uh, you think of religions in terms of text and textual practices i think it's actually very important if if we are going to salvage anything from hinduism it is actually very important to emphasize that Mm -hmm. and for the simple fact that a this is not how most people because it's true most people do not practice faith scripturally in uh, i mean like most hindus do not practice faith scripturally and uh, you know basically construct a movement around that if if that is possible and you know someone I mean like I agree with Chondu someone who has to do that project has to do it in a very non-cynical way. it cannot be a cynical project right? No, and, and I, project. I
3: would like to add another point to that which might be a helpful point rather than a critical one so like I am a bit skeptical of like doing that without scriptural text but there are levers one can use and one lever which has been used in Indian past itself, is that new faiths have sort of tried to come up writing their own scripture and then sort of contesting earlier scriptures. So while I don't have a lot of sympathy for people who say that, you know, we can sort of revive Loka Yuta or Charavakka or something like that, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and Pramod knows what I'm joking about here, ha ha ha. Uh, and we can like go into Lokayutta in this episode only because I think it's relevant Yes, but Hinduism like Brahminical tradition, do provide a lever to subvert Brahminical traditions and it has been historically used with great success in the past wherein you create your own scripture and say that you know what mine is better than yours and it's more logical and it can work uh, this actually is a like this actually is a very uh, sort of Savarkarai thought, like to to sort of steal the weapon of our enemies in the right wing. (laughs) So when these people were like reconstructing modern weaponized Hinduism, which we called Hindutva, a lot of critique they were getting from traditional Sanatanis is that what is all this rubbish? Like, who are you guys to say that we will have a geographical Hinduism and like everybody would be like this master race, whatever. This is nonsense. Like, castes are separate and all. To which the response often was that, no, we are just using the old traditions of Hinduism by creating a newer, better Hinduism like people have done in the past. And like when Comrade Pinky says that, you know, you have these right-wingers who would say that Hinduism has this flexibility ingrained to it. Why not weaponize that? Why not say that,
0: you know, we have better scripture than yours? (laughs) And <laughs> the problem that, with scripture though <laughs> is that scripture comes with authority so you can't i mean yeah. someone has to do the job of yes, yes, vedic somebody has to do the job somebody has
3: yes. to Vedic take Hindu somebody has to go to kashi or to uh, to the four places and argue with them and defeat them in argument it, it this is a like somebody has to replicate what uh, what was done when advaita was being made etc and that was a politically a very successful project. Okay,
2: so I so some I, I'm seeing like two, two or three different problems here, and I don't mean problems in what you're saying. I think problems that we are. trying to uh, overcome uh, with or without Hinduism Uh, and so one is like the most basic thing is I think that that we named was we can't just tell people to give up their faith right like human beings have an attachment to faith or to some idea of faith so we can't sort of single out Hinduism to be the one thing like we can't tell them your religion unfortunately is irredeemable and therefore you have to let go of it for the good of like humanity like that that's not going to work right So so that's one. Aspect is making room for Hinduism. What do we allow? What are the ways in which we uh, acknowledge just, just like a human desire to participate in something and just sort of have a compassionate approach saying, okay, we can't be hypocritical and say, let's make room for all these other religions with problematic elements. And if those religions haven't been fundamentally tarnished by it, then we can't say that your Hinduism has been fundamentally tarnished by this either. So that's one thing, like allowances, right? But I think the other thing is that what can we actually utilize in Hinduism? What can we utilize in order? order to defeat Hindudva and in order to get to a better place and so that becomes so I feel like those are maybe on two separate timelines like one of them is even you know one of them is at the level where we're actually trying to tell people okay it's fine you don't have to let go of this because this is what you what you've known and what you what you stand for all your life but the other is like an even further like a more far-reaching project of actually trying to do something with it and uh and also when we're saying use scriptures or you know argue with people I guess what like how like are we we changing like very specific things like for example with the whole um, you know with the temple entry thing I'm forgetting the name of the temple
3: Sabri yes, see, Sabri is, like if if you had like mass reactionary movements in a state and then you forget it i think that is symptomatic of no, that's
2: just symptomatic of my brain at this hour okay but, <laughs> but uh but what i'm saying is that okay so these are very specific like okay we are trying to change this law this rule so i see how scripture can work there i, I can see someone actually effectively saying hey this text doesn't actually say that but when we're trying to change an entire ethos and an entire vision of society, right? Like we are, were trying to create one that is not Islamophobic, that is not hierarchical. Um, I find that a little more complicated, basically. And I'm having trouble imagining, like, what do we tell people that this is the vision of India we're trying to create and this is what we're asking you to kind of join in. Like, what is the vision of India we're trying to create and what is the role that Hinduism will have there? And what is the that other, like, multiple communities will have there? Because we're not... I think this is a time when Hinduism does doesn't seem like for some people it seems more oppressive and like more omnipresent than ever before and I think for others uh, those who are more inclined towards atheism or, or towards whom like a certain version of no version of hinduism seems to be working like what reality do we ask them to sign on to basically and just to
0: add to what comrade pinky just said i've been reading a lot of gramsci because gramsci talks a lot about um the the role of catholicism amongst uh the italian peasantry at the at the at the time of the fascist uh government and he particularly warns against the sort of romantic nostalgic longings we have to reform religion right and i'm reading what one of Ejaz Ahmed's uh, sort of paraphrasing in an essay he wrote called Fascism and National Culture reading Gramsci in the days of Hindutva and it's just a line so bear with me but he says once religion has been defined as the essential terrain for contestations of hegemony this terrain is then necessarily defined by the reactionary forces and the progressive forces are compared not only to adopt reactive and defensive positions but also to prune down their own projects of a revolutionary restructuring of material life this is the only means through which a firm basis for a long-term moral region Of society can be obtained. So, for me, as much as uh, I get what Comrade Chandu is saying about you know, uh, sort of good, hin- quote unquote, good Hindus going and, and doing the ugly job of, you know, uh, uh, hermeneutically, you know, uh, manipulating scripture, I feel like the, the that, that scriptural challenge has to be accompanied by a restructuring of the material life of Hindus. Oh, definitely, definitely. Right? I do it, it can right.
3: happen on a vacuum. Like, also, I am not suggest. like, I, I really don't like the word manipulation there, because like I said, it can't be cynical. <laughs> has to be done by believers so i can't do it because i'm an atheist i don't believe at all so i guess the question
0: is what are believers holding on to this is again what i come back to i mean we
3: are not believers so it's like we are like it's hard like aliens like discussing the hindu uh, like from above that is the problem right with the left that uh we, we want to like tackle this gigantic problem but we are outsiders
2: we are and that's the thing when I talk to my parents for example I, I start off from the position that I'm sincerely engaging with you and you know because like my parents are the ones who are that way believers so they have more skin in the game than I do but after a while I realize that we actually are occupying different registers like my fundamental investment isn't in a in a society where Hinduism is very like thriving and alive Um, so it becomes really hard for my parents to trust me and for me to take some of what they're saying with a certain kind of intellectual seriousness so if they're you know a lot of people in the left who, who are atheist or who are just disgruntled with Hinduism to the point where th- how uh, what happens to sincerity because I like sincerity I, I think it's useful but how can we really join hands like how can we be comrades I, with I Hindu beliefs?
3: I think I like here is like when I was young I came from a very sort of a Richard Dawkins Christopher Hitchens all religions are bad yeah. fuck religion that kind of a deal right yeah what I realized after a point that a that's not very compassionate and I'm not Mm -hmm. getting through to people who otherwise are very smart brilliant people you know and then you expand that problem to 80% of India you can't like you know in the back of your mind a sort of hope magic to happen you know like in a sense that like why why can't these people just realize this is all garbage and just yeah that's not happening i think we need to come at it not just from sincerity but compassion that if the project of the left is to like sincerely build a better society it is a better society of people people who happen to have a certain faith right so Mm -hmm. so i'm not like so, Comrade Bella, I'm not I'm not doing that thing where I'm I want to like reform a religion for the heck of it. You yeah, know, I have this glorious vision of uh, everybody <laughs> holding hand and sing, singing Kumbaya or whatever. Bhajans. Uh, it's bhajans. No, yeah, no. It's, it's, everybody <laughs> Holding hands and
1: singing bhajans.
3: It's, it's much more practical than that. That if I want my socialist project to succeed, there is really no other way. And uh, and then the question is that. Uh, The question that was asked by both of you, Comrade Bella and Comrade Pinky, that which way? I think just as Hinduism is a deeply localized and deeply multifarious phenomena, the the way to deal with it will also have to be deeply localized. It's not an either-or question. So somewhere somebody would have to do the work of figuring out the Bhakti movements and what parts of them are oppressive and what parts of them are emancipatory. By the way, when Comrade Pramod was talking about the Ram Janma Bhumi case, another idea came into my head. Do you know another heterodox Bhakti movement which went weird? The Gorakhpur Mutt. So like, it's not as if all Bhakti movements are nice, right? Like Bhakti movements have immense degree of, uh, like immense spectrum there. Similarly, somebody has to go and do the dirty work of reading the scriptures like like, like Ram Mohan did. And then people who followed him did. And I'm not saying they were perfect people. So there were like differences within the reformists. Deep differences in fact. Because there there are a lot of movements which you don't hear about when you hear these large names. And um, not all of those movements were revolutionary in the sense um, fully was. So hmm. uh, we have to sort of repeat that exercise where we sort of investigate what Hinduism is all about because right now we are coming from a position of ignorance that we don't know what people care about perhaps it's completely true that you know what they don't give a fuck about the scriptures at all and if you like burn all the scriptures tomorrow nothing happens
0: right and but... to me i've i've and this is entirely anecdotal but i would say that the i think the real attraction of uh, of 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 hinduism is really the idea of a hindu society a really pluralistic sort of we are all different we speak different languages we eat different foods we wear saris differently but here we are worshiping the same god and there's this idea because you know uh, what does it mean to practice? I mean, as much as we all uh, we all say that we don't practice Hinduism, Hindu festivals are often when I meet my family and where we congregate, you know, and 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 sort of catch up with each other and so on. And that yeah. is how you know social life in India has been structured for a while. So it's to me it's impossible to to separate the the desire and longing for community
2: yeah.
0: and belonging to also the desire and longing for sort of a deeper spiritual meaning, which I guess we all people are seeking and find in different things. Right. Uh, and and that tension is is useful to work out but i have to say as a woman uh having to deal with hindu scripture and people who want to you know <laughs> put it on a pedestal yeah. becoming a critical in, in, insider when you are the focus of oppressive regimes is 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 a big ask and this is why i would not put the onus on on say lower caste communities or women or uh, other minority groups to really be the people so, to tackle these hegemonic entities
2: right and that, so there's my question is who do we put the onus on right because I, I've also been thinking, okay, so we can't do it because we're not believers in that sense. Um, and who can do it? And those who can do it, what is their investment in doing so? Are these people who hate to see what's happening with Hindutva? And uh, and are they? Are we saying that they can actually organize more and do more to use that uh, dislike of what's going on now uh, and, and use what they know of the religion? Um, I think that is a, on paper that seems plausible, but what really bothers me is Uh, The fact that so many people who aren't even like the most cold-blooded Hindutva people I know, like they actually hate Muslims. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that is true. Right. And the thing is that when I think of people I know in my family, and there are some I'm, I'm close to, and I, I do believe, I don't think I'm just deluded about this, I do believe they are kind and compassionate people, but they are so defensive about Hinduism right now. And they're so, and and they have like all this baggage about the Muslim mother and about all sorts of others right now that if I were to, for example, tell them that, hey, here are the redemptive things in your religion, maybe think about using this to combat Uh, you know the Hindutva people combat the BJP it just doesn't seem like we can reach that plane yet like maybe part of it is my own fault that I've never really tried I've never seen I've never wanted to work through Hinduism I've always wanted to just batter them with all my objections but I also see like I'm so chilled by the genuine hatred that I see in people who are nice people that I really wonder when they will ever feel like um, they can they can reconcile uh, their intelligence and their criticality with the aspects of Hinduism they love and use it to actually organize against what's happening
3: right now. Uh, so Pinky, that was heavy. And I think we need an entire episode to sort of go through this uh, question of uh, this essential fear, which which is way beyond the material politics with both leftists and Ambedkarites look at this fear of the other. Mm-hmm. And I think on that note, we should be ending this episode. Uh, Comrade Bela, uh, please do the, uh, please say the final word.
0: Um, okay. On that happy note, I think we're going to uh, put a halt to part one of this episode, uh, the Gentoo Society. Um As we've seen so far, we've talked about Hinduism and um, its roots in in sort of community formation. How should we as leftists think about Hindus as a community? Uh, We've talked about the material relations of caste and and discussed whether we whether, like some of Vedkaris, we see it as fundamental to Hinduism. In this episode, we also talked about um, how seriously to engage with the with the legitimacy of scripture and um, whether there's any scope for left. To actually uh, dig through sort of the archive and become experts in that field, and maybe perhaps um, recruit believers who believe in reviving Hinduism to actually do some of that work as well, um, and sort of to dismantle some of its power structures. And I think. we're ending right now in the point that Pinky made, which is that there is, um, there is a sort of negative identification of what it means to be Hindu by pinpointing the other, particularly the Muslim other. And that sort of Islamophobia has become very indicative of where uh, and how Hindus identify as Hindus. Um, we definitely intend to continue this conversation in part two. Uh, this this is part this this is two parts of a longer episode on on how how the left should approach Hinduism. So there is definitely more conversation to come there. Uh, but until then, uh, please like and share this podcast as much as possible, um, uh, and please do return for part two.
3: Thank you everybody for having the patience to listen to such a uh, such a wide uh, discourse. Uh, mm-hmm. And as uh, Comrade Bella has said, we are going to return soon because i know that we have just sort of been pointing out the issues and please listen to part two of this episode thank you goodbye